Hi everyone, Carlos Ghosn, hero or scoundrel? Hi everyone, welcome back to Tokyo on Fire. It is November 27th, 2018. A lot has happened over the last eight days after Carlos Ghosn was arrested by public prosecutors. They walked onto the airplane, Michael, and they arrested him right in the corporate jet. Right there on the, the, the tarmac at, at, uh, at Haneda. Something I've never seen. I've never seen that. In ever. In, the cameras were in position. Yeah, look, well, NHK knew what was going to happen, but, any, but all this was, had been, has been an absolute media circus mm -hmm. and also a circus in terms of trying to figure out day by day uh, through media leaks and all kinds of different rumors and speculation, what's he arrested right. for? Right. And you know, the entire country is, is, well, just looking at this and saying, oh, he's a good guy. Oh, wait, he's a bad guy. Mm -hmm. Oh, he's a, you know, he's been entrapped. It's, it's been a fascinating time. Well, the thing, I mean, it really kind of has an inflection on how Japanese society is, or business culture, is perceived outside of Japan as well. You know, he was arrested. Everything that we've read in the newspapers over the last eight days and seen on TV has only come from one or two sources. The other stuff, the stuff from Carlos Ghosn, he's sequestered. He's in basically solitary confinement, and he's not making any statements. Not basically is in solitary confinement in a, in a tiny cell, as is uh, uh, Gregory Kelly, uh, his second-in-command. Right. Uh, they were picked up, and they're thrown into a, a Japanese jail. I mean, it's... It, they won't freeze to death mm -hmm. in there. This is not this is not Russia, but it it's Spartan to to an nth degree and very small. Right. Uh, they are they are truly in in for them extraordinary circumstances. Right. Just just for purposes of people who don't know, when you are arrested here in Japan, you don't necessarily uh, need to have a. a, a file of arrest put upon you, you are detained. That's right. And you can be detained up to almost three weeks while they do the questioning. And when you're in, in this uh, period of being detained, uh, you can be visited by your lawyer, um, but it's limited to one hour at a time. And the guard who is sitting, uh, you're talking through a plate class, and the guard who is sitting there needs to be um, cognizant of what your conversations are. So if you're speaking in French or German or, or English, you need to lean over and tell him what you've just said. It's not an environment that is entirely conducive to being able to mount a defense, mm -hmm. to put it mildly. Uh, furthermore, when they ask you questions, they're going to be asking in such a way as to entrap you into admitting some kind of crime. Right. Well, not only that, but they've got you 24 hours a day. If you want to go to the bathroom, you m must ask for permission. And if you haven't been very cooperative, if you've said, look, I've answered that question 15 times, I'm not going to answer it again, well, then, you know, the next time you need to go for a walk or have a cigarette or take a shave, you know, think about it. Yeah, there's, a, there's a, an entire psychological game yeah. that, that's happening. They can uh, turn off the heat when there's nobody around. They can do all kinds of right. things that help encourage you to quickly come to understand that their version of the story is the one that you also believe mm -hmm. in. Uh, but that's not what seems to be leaking out. How the, how the leaks are happening, uh, whether it's being planted by his lawyers to counter what has been an absolute avalanche of condemnatory comments from Nissan itself. His colleagues. From his former colleagues, uh, because he has been dismissed. Uh, as the, the, the as the, the chairman uh, from the prosecutor's office, though not directly, it's always 
listed in the papers as someone who is close to the prosecution. Mm-hmm. This, this, these people are, are setting up a framework. And the media, Japan's media, specifically, interestingly, the Asahi Shinbun, yes. has been the go-to place for all this information that has come out against Gon. Mm-hmm. Now, we're starting to see in the last couple of days that they have that a counter uh, narrative is coming out. Basically, two days ago, that the uh, first of all that Gon and Kelly will not admit to wrongdoing, which shows that they're not cooperative and don't understand that they they're guilty. Right. Uh, and the sec- now today that okay they have done something, which in this case is deferred compensation for the chairman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they admit that, and they believe that it is a legal act. Right. Uh, and then that's a that's the counter move to all of this stuff that's just been coming out, and it's been it's been an amazing process to see, as the prosecutors seem to be working out on the fly what it is that they're holding him mm-hmm. for, and they do have time limits. They can the they have to go to a judge now to extend their his time in detention. He's not there just for questioning. He's, right. he's there on a presumed arrest warrant. Right. But that warrant has not been issued yet. You know, the thing that really irks me about this is that, yes, it, it turns out that he's a foreigner. But there were other foreigners in the past that have been treated like you would not have imagined uh, a Japanese national CEO or a chairman being treated. And, and the disparity here is just so striking that it makes it makes you fearful for other executives throughout the world who might come to Japan to also uh, similarly r- resurrect a, a failing Japanese company. That's right. This, this, this whatever your, your take on it, and I take, have a slightly different one, I think that he's more the famous nail that sticks out shall be hammered down kind of situation because we have had Japanese executives and Japanese uh, investors, Horiei-san or Murakami-san, or if you want to go on the political side, Ozawa Ichiro trying to become prime minister and then Mm -hmm. having his aides suddenly arrested for for something. Sure. Uh, That, that, I, I can see both ways, but certainly with what happened in the Olympus case and now with Gon, the, who is, you know, he, he's, he should be a hero. And in fact, they've had him in heroic roles with his own manga character, his life told. He's, he's, you know, he's worked very hard on his image in Japan while, of course, also enjoying all the perks of being a trans-global uh, executive. And some of the perks were indeed excessive, at least seen from the Japanese side. He's his, not really Mr. Bean in disguise. No, no, his, his, his wedding at Versailles, you know, that, that's... that's, that's pushing way past the envelope. But, I mean, they have corporate compliance. They have governance. These things are being pushed through. You know, hey, I'm going to get married, and, you know, since I travel around so much, I haven't had a holiday in 300 days. How about you guys pony up and you pay for the wedding and we make it a big corporate thing? How about that? I'm sure they massage that, and, you know, the chairman wants it paid for, so let's make it happen. Well, even if he paid for it entirely out of his own pocket, the the, the visuals are not good in, in terms of Japan, because then, and we've We've seen it. They have gone immediately, at least the media has this immediate 
uh, herd reaction to go yes. to individual employees, lower ranking employees of Nissan saying, you know, this guy was paid so much and he's so How greedy. Feel? How do you feel? Yes. And they get the, the sound bite they need. Well, I, I guess he, you know, he really loved money. Yeah. Bingo. And they put that up. Yep. And the herd behavior in terms of Japan's media in this case, uh, yeah, it's going to really change people's views about, okay, will I get a fair shake? Mm -hmm. Will I get a, a, a fair deal if I come to Japan? Let's talk about the prospects of this being a coup d'etat, this, this being something that's, that's orchestrated, that was planned and put into place because of the, the, car, the merger of the two companies or the three companies into a, a single unit that is controlled basically by the French. It's controlled basically, it would be controlled by, by Renault. Most of the cars would be sold by Nissan and made by Nissan with Mitsubishi tacked on. Mm -hmm. And for the Nissan executives, even though uh, they, blew the, they blew out the company, it's the, the, of course, the, that upper echelon was taken away when, when Gon took over, but nevertheless, the, the corporate culture of Nissan is still very proud, still very nationalist. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's Nissan, you know, Japan, Japan uh, production. Uh, it's, 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 and, it, and it has its name in kanji. It doesn't, it's, we're, we're Nissan, do you understand? Uh, and they were not happy with that possible new role underneath Renault in a, a management structure. Now, one of the interesting aspects that hasn't been in the news is what the uh, Japanese government's view of all this is, what the, what the political uh, establishment thinks. Uh, that ha they have kept really quiet. And that's interesting because we know, at least on the French side, since the French government is the largest shareholder of right. Renault, they have a very distinct interest. And it's amazing to me that the French government was not given any kind of heads up on this. Right. You know, as a simple courtesy government to government, mm -hmm. one of your most prominent citizens is about to be arrested. Hello, Mr. Ambassador, I have some bad news. Right. Well, let's back it up just a little bit uh, before that. If you're a company employee and something like this is going on, the first thing you're going to do is collect this dossier of things that you think the chairman is doing and present it to him rather than putting it into a briefcase and walking it over to the public prosecutor's office. Or at office. least present it to the board or present it to an ombudsman. Some, there, must be within a, the gov there must be some kind of government. Mm -hmm. Now, what the framing of this argument is, is that Gon destroyed the government structure through the holding company in the Netherlands and that there was no ability for the company by itself to, to clear, clear itself out. Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's their their story uh, and we will see if that that holds up what we know now uh, is that the the prosecutors are homing in on the concept that not stating deferred payments is illegal mm -hmm. and that that is the basis of what was an internal investigation by the company now, again, as you said, normally you don't run to the prosecutors. You, 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 know, you don't tell the teacher. That's right. Legal, <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you, legal goes and talks to the board and to, and to the executives and says, you know, this, this arrangement that you have, that you've cooked up, doesn't right. work. Mm -hmm. It will not fly. We've got to undo it. All right. Michael, did you see just recently, related to that, the, uh, a young lawyer in Olympus had his own press conference and he said, look, I was hired to help 
retrieve all of the, the things that the company said it was going to do and help implement those. I've been in the company now for seven years since I became a lawyer, and they're not doing a single one of them. Yeah, well, that was uh, that's precisely what most people would predict, mm -hmm. that after having jettisoned their foreign CEO, they would go back right. to exactly the same things they right. were doing before because they would not be held accountable, and they weren't. Mm -hmm. uh, and everyone now says, okay, is that, why didn't that work out for, for Nissan? Why didn't Carlos Ghosn just get to bury all of this bad news, give him the chance, and the company goes on? Mm -hmm. No, that's not the way they worked. This is what looks like a coup d'etat. And right. indeed, there's been one big di division. It's between, in the media sphere, between the shakaibu and the business part of any media organization. The Shakaibu, the scandal and crime sections, immediately ran with whatever yeah. they received from the leakers inside the, uh, inside the prosecution or the police. Mm -hmm. They took it and printed it. The business side looked at the, what was being presented, look, especially at that press conference by the CEO, and just began immediately asking questions. You know, this looks like a coup d'etat. Yeah. Well, explain how it isn't one. Mm -hmm. And blah, 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 blah. No, there, there were bad things that happened. Right. Immediately looked really, really interesting, those two different groups. And let's face it, by choosing the Asahi Shinbun as their main leak point, the prosecutors are quite wise. They know very well that it has one of the weakest, uh, least divisions in terms of economics, business, finance, they, are, they would be an ideal place right. because they wouldn't be critical mm -hmm. in their analysis of what it was that they were being told. Right. Let's talk just a little bit about the new plea bargaining uh, situation that we've got that perhaps the public prosecutors were hopingly, hoping to leverage so that they might get something of an admission out of Carlos Ghosn so that they could clear this thing up. Well, they, certainly they have for the first time, this just now recently received, the possibility of doing plea bargains. And this is the, only the second time that prosecutors are using it. They are rank amateurs at this. And they seem to have stumbled into, at least on a, from looking at it right now, into an internal fight where they, get, they were snookered by one side. And that side came to them, said, here's the crimes that the other people did, and will you let us off the hook if we provide you with information? Mm -hmm. And that seems to be what the prosecutors did, and they just didn't think it through that they could be used by right. other people in order to, to do a takedown. Well, usually when somebody comes up as a whistleblower, there's two, two impetus to do that. One is something's happening, I'm implicated in it, and I wanna get, get away scot-free. And the second one is this is so egregious that as a as a stand-up citizen, I need to report to somebody. Yeah, but in this case, we are, we're, what we see is the Nissan people do not want to, the merger to go forward. Right. We know that. And we know that they did their internal investigation and didn't share it with their executives. They went to the prosecutors. From all, anyone looking at this says, this is a setup. Now, other non-Japanese execs have been taken down in similar ways. Horie and the way his company was dismantled. Mm -hmm. That was clearly, they, the prosecutors had an idea of somehow finding a crime. We have a, we have a, a goal, we have a defendant that we want to bring down, we'll find the crime. Mm -hmm. uh, here, the, the defendant was offered to them. 
by his rivals inside the company, and they bid on it. It just strikes me as so strange, Michael, because usually the public prosecutors will become involved when there is a blatant crime being committed. They need to, to move in. This is mostly a, a kind of inside the, the corporate boardroom kind of struggle. This is not really a criminal investigation kind of situation. There was no criminal investigation until the company brought it up themselves. Mm -hmm. So we'll see how this is going to work out. Carlos Ghosn, criminal or hero? We still don't know, but stay tuned. We're going to report on this later. Stay tuned. Hi everyone, welcome back to Tokyo on Fire. Today is November 27th, 2018. The immigration bill is now in council. It's now being discussed in the diet. They're hoping to close it up by the 10th of December. That's when this current diet session ends. There's a lot of controversy. There's a lot of confusion. Michael, when are you gonna immigrate? Well, I'm immigrating right now. I have permanent residency, and that's one of the issues that's involved here, in that these persons who are going to be receiving a new visa status, there will be 14 new industries that will be allowed to bring in basically uh, manual labor, right. which has up until now been very difficult to bring into the country. Well, following on the success of the temporary workers' law. Well, the, 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 there is all kinds of laws, including the immigration of Brazilians and Peruvians under that special immigration law that was established uh, in the, the bubble years in right. order to bring them in to do the, the three K's work. Didn't quite work, did it? It didn't quite work out, and that's part of the entire discussion. There's is a bit all of a the, legacy here, right? All the legacy of all these different programs, in the case of the, the uh, Nikkei gene version, a, a clearly racial program mm -hmm. uh, that was not based on language skills, was not based on any kind of interest in Japan, right. was based simply on having parents or grandparents right. with, or having, you know, a, a simply a Japanese surname. Right. Uh, that didn't work out, so that there are all these legacy programs that didn't work out that inform the current plan, which right. is to basically, well, more than double the number of people who are under the trainee program, opening up a whole bunch of new industries to having these trainees mm -hmm. who up until now, that program has been extremely fraught. Right. And a lot of criticism. And a lot of criticism, both domestically and internationally, as basically a form of indentured servitude. Right, it's a scam. It's the Japanese government is scamming people. Come work in our country. Learn and something. Learn something. And then after you do your labor, go back to your country and take that technology. After, with after, you. You, after you have had your learning experience. Right. And a learning experience can be three years of shucking oysters. Right. And that's, that's all you get. And you get paid less than the minimum wage in many cases. Uh, many of the, the employers do that, and they, they fear no retribution. Uh, frequently, they've been caught taking the passports right. of the, their workers, making it impossible for them to leave, and we've had several thousand flee right. from their workplaces. And that was another aspect of this current bill, not, that, not only that the current system doesn't really work, and the, the government has been utterly irresponsible. It farmed the entire thing out to a nonprofit to be the managers and overseers of this basically government program, you know, putting at one, at one remove responsibility, mm -hmm. and they have none of the resources to keep an eye yep. on all of these people who are in, right now, agricultural, f fisheries, and a few other industries as trainees, supposedly learning from mm -hmm. on the job. Uh, instead, it's, 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 been, it's been a shambles, and the opposition, 
right now has just been going down through the list of everything that's been wrong with the program so far, and then how are you going to prevent these things from happening? Right. The Japanese government has kicked this ball down the path for a long time. They basically ignored it, even though this, this tidal wave of needs, industry needs for uh, agricultural needs for workers and you know, regular Japanese are fleeing the, the, the rural areas they are coming into the cities. And the, the, the big wave that's coming is taking care of the very old. Mm -hmm. So Kaigo, having people there to watch senior citizens 24 hours a day, uh, if they're incontinent, to change their diapers, to feed them, all these things. We, there is a dearth of hundreds of thousands of workers in that industry already. There are places begging because the pay in that industry is so low. Right. Uh, basically, you don't want to be involved in it, and it's, extru you know, it's excruciating work, it's emotionally trying work, uh, and the, the dream is that there are hundreds of thousands of East Asians, mm -hmm. uh, basically, who want to come to do that work here in Japan. Right. All we have to do is create a visa program that allows them to do so. Well, it seems to me that they just want a job. They want a livelihood, and they think that coming to Japan, it's, um, obviously it's better than where their country is, and maybe they will pick up a skill. That's, that's the thing. Those countries are all developing economically, and mm -hmm. the, the pay scale, the difference used to be you know, just absolutely a, a chasm. Right. But now it's getting closer and closer. And the thought that many of them are going to come to Japan, first of all, in, in the tens and the hundreds of thousands, if they're allowed to do so, uh, to fill these jobs, uh, that these will be the be their best people, mm -hmm. that this will the, they will be able to integrate themselves, the opposition says that's ludicrous. Yeah. That's not, that, what is the basis of your calculations? And that, the, well, that order, fell apart. That fell apart because they the, didn't know they, our, their Excel sheets didn't work. Their Excel sheets shouldn't work. That's that was another thing. They had statistics on how well everything was working with the uh, current trainee program, and the opposition just pointed out, "You made up all these figures. These figures don't actually exist there." And they went back and they found out you're right. Yeah, and that's where they hit the wall because within the LDP. There is great opposition mm -hmm. to increasing immigration, or at least with some members, and, and it passed through the general council meeting, but just barely, and there are all these guys in the background going, blah, 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 we don't like right. to have new immigrants, blah, 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 what are we gonna do with our constituents? There, there's that, and there are virulent anti-immigrant groups that have so far been strong supporters of the Abe administration, and they feel betrayed by this new immigration. Right. And so, in order to appease them and assuage them and tell them, oh, it's not so bad. They have made no internal uh, research about what the numbers are of the people, how many are needed, how many are demanded by industry. How many they, are gonna bring their family, they, their how kids? Many are, they, they, they've kept that entirely, mm. you know, they, they have just simply not done the research right. so as to be able to say, well, this is, we're just, this is just a framework. Right. And the, the opposition just says, you're going to open up the system Mm -hmm. without any numbers, that's crazy. Right. And it has been back and forth and back and forth, and, and it's been petty at times. The opposition wants Mr. Abe personally to say, this is an immigration bill. Right. And he goes up there and he says, no, it's not an immigration bill, it's a permanent residency 
uh, visa extension bill. And then he sits down and they say, but it's really an immigration bill, right. isn't it? And th there's been a lot of that. And that hasn't played well for the opposition. Mm -hmm. the, 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 the prime minister and the cabinet's uh, ratings have stayed stable or, or risen during this procedure, mm -hmm. even though if you look at the, the give and take in the, in the diet, they're getting, the, the administration's getting slapped around. Yeah. But admittedly, I mean, it, this place is a, a difficult place to assimilate into. I mean, the, the country itself uh, being available for uh, social services, that sort of thing, that this new class, and, and it really does kind of create a new class, doesn't it? It, it does, absolutely a new of, class. Of laborers. Yeah, and it's, it's a new class, and, and it's going to have... Will it have full access to the nation's health system? Uh, what will be the guarantees that these people uh, don't flee from their jobs? Won't, won't it bleed off people from the existing mm -hmm. program? They'll flow into this new visa right. program with its, its new longer stay. Mm -hmm. All these numbers that need to be nailed down before a piece of legislation can be passed are not available. And the social impact is really, I mean, you can't put a cap on this. Once people come in, even if it's a, a small portion, a minority, some people will stay. They'll, they'll assimilate, they'll learn the language, their kids will go to school, and they'll, they'll get married to, to Japanese citizens and they have rights too. And they will, and they also, some of them will get involved in criminal cases. The, some people have brought yeah. up the fact that the number of translators that we have working in the, the justice system is shrinking, right. not, and they'd have to increase if they're right. going to have more of these defendants, whether it's just simply for visa violations. Mm -hmm. That the, the internal mechanics, the necessary infrastructure it, to accept these new immigrants is not there. And again, the government has just been stonewalling. Right. Now, everything will be fine. This will all work out. Right. But as they hold their nose and they say, we really don't want you, but we need you, that's kind of inevitable too. Not certainly, but the, the, the people who are saying we need you is the Keidanren. It's the business lobby that has pushed this really, really hard. And it's certain industries. Kaigo, we talked about one of them. Construction is the other, and, there, and there's an absolute dearth there. Uh, for restaurants and the, mm -hmm. and, and the, and the comfort industry, for, for hotels, etc. Oh, you see the impact even today. Oh, even today. Right. But they've, there's been liberalization, for example, of house cleaning. So now the house cleaning industry is now hi hiring for the first time non-Japanese in, in, in their, uh, we come to your house, we clean it up kind mm -hmm. of uh, service. That's great. It's wonderful. It's having a cosmopolitan society is 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 super. But if you're going to have an increase, a massive increase over a short period of time without preparation, as happened with the Brazilians and the Peruvians, right. then you're asking for trouble. Is what the opposition is saying. Okay, Michael. We have less than two weeks before the Diet votes on this. What do you think is going to happen? Do you think they're going to go? They're going to vote for it, or they're going to? turn it down and push it off to another session. It's the only thing that Mr. Abe has this session. He's not going to get a peace treaty uh, with the Russians by December. He's not going to get a constitutional revision nope. clause out, which he tried to do and pushed very hard to do in this extraordinary diet session. This is the issue. And if they don't get it done, then what was this extraordinary diet session for will become the question. So I don't want to put words in your mouth. They're going to push it. They're going to pass it, and the numbers will have to come later. And I agree. M That's right. And and everybody will be ready to point fingers at who Hell was to, to blame when it when things go bad. Right. 
Tokyo on Fire Immigration, a word that is very difficult to pronounce in Japanese. Please stay tuned. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Tokyo on Fire. Today is November 27th, 2018. The midterm elections are about three weeks, four weeks behind us, and yet we're still trying to figure out what it means between the United States and Japan, trade, how is Japan and China going to figure into this whole thing. I'm joined again today by Glenn Fukushima, a great expert on the U.S. relationship and also what's going on in Washington, D.C. Glenn, welcome back. Thanks, Jim. It's great to be back. You've been busy. You've been talking to a lot of people. People are really thirsty for your insight and what's going on and what does it mean? Well, yeah, I think the world was looking at the November 6th midterm elections to see what kind of outcome it'll have. It's the first kind of um, opportunity for voters to um, uh, give their judgment on two years of Donald Trump. Right, and, and so voter turnout was great. It was very good. Yeah. And uh, the Democrats got 38 seats in the House, so they get the majority in the House. There's two seats still undecided, but um, in any case, the Democrats get the majority. Uh, also, Democrats got seven uh, governorships, so that's a big accomplishment. There are 123 women who are going to be in the uh, House of Representatives, the largest number in uh, American history, uh, 40 women of color. Um, so that's going to be a challenge, I think, for the Trump administration. Um, the Republicans did maintain the uh, majority in the uh, Senate. And uh, actually, the Democrats lost four seats in the Senate. The uh, Republicans won two seats, so net gain of two mm -hmm. on the Senate side. And there were some close races, like in Texas, that uh, the Democrats were hoping to win, but uh, Beto uh, O'Rourke lost to uh, Ted Cruz. And there were some states like Tennessee, where I think uh, Democrats thought they might have a chance with Phil Bredesen, but he lost to Marsha Blackburn. So. Um, altogether, I'd say it was reasonably good for Democrats because the overall voter turnout uh, had 7% more uh, voting for uh, Democrats rather than Republicans, number one. Number two, uh, the millennials, mm -hmm. uh, those between the age of 18 and 29, voted 67% for Democrats. Women, 59% uh, for Democrats, 40% for Republicans. African Americans, 90% for Democrats, Asian Americans, 77%, Latino, 69%. So all of the uh, major ethnic groups, other than whites, voted in favor of uh, Democrats. And so given the demographic trends in the United States, where the U.S. is expected sometime between 2004 and 2005 to be, to be uh, majority minority, that right. is non-white, um, the trends look good for Democrats. Mm -hmm. So, Glenn, one of the things that I think people need a little bit more of an understanding of is what does it tactically mean for the Democrats to occupy the House of Representatives? Sure. Right. And what does it mean for the Republicans to mm -hmm. occupy the Senate? How mm -hmm. does that really work out? I, sure. I mean, I can tell that it's giving you know the president a hard time because mm -hmm. of committee seats and mm -hmm. sure. leadership, sure. but yep. could you explain that a little bit better? Sure. Well, I think that the fact that it's going to be a divided government with uh, Democrats having the majority in the House, uh, Republicans on the Senate side having majority, means it's going to be difficult to pass legislation, right. number one. Number two, I think because the 27 committees will all now flip to be uh, chaired by Democrats rather than Republicans, they're going to use the subpoena power in order to do investigations, uh, have hearings. Uh, I've been told by uh, certain members of the House uh, before the election that if the Democrats take the majority, they will almost certainly launch investigations into such things as Russiagate, mm -hmm. potential conflict of interest, potential obstruction of justice, uh, taxes. Also, just recently, you know, there's been uh, this report that Ivanka Trump has been using her personal email system for official business, which mm -hmm. is the main 
uh, criticism that uh, Hillary Clinton faced during her campaign. Um, so there's some talk that perhaps the, there will be an investigation of this. But there are a whole range of issues in which the Democrats have been kind of chopping at the bit to launch investigations on once they get the majority. So mm -hmm. I think that will uh, slow things down for the White House. They'll have to produce documents. They'll have to uh, submit hearings and so forth. So that, that will slow things down. On the Senate side, one of the things that the Senate um, has the jurisdiction over is um, confirmation of appointments. So the fact that the Republicans have two more seats than they had before means that it'll be easier for the president to get his uh, nominees confirmed. And especially uh, for cabinet positions, you know, the cabinets, the, mm -hmm. the deputy secretary, undersecretary, assistant secretary, plus ambassadors, plus the federal judiciary all require Senate confirmation. And I think for Trump, the federal judiciary is very important, not only the Supreme Court, but also the 13 circuit courts of appeal and about 96 uh, federal district courts. He's really trying to get a lot of conservatives confirmed, and that should become easier now mm -hmm. that the Senate majority is increased by two for the Republicans. Isn't that a kind of a longer-term payout, though, with the, with the House of Representatives? That's a, a shorter-term payout when they're controlling uh, committee seats and getting uh, policies kind of stalled. Well, the you know, House, every two years, they go through the election, 435 members. But I think it's really, I think both sides are looking at this as the next two years. Sure. Because the next two years, there's going to be another presidential election. And so what happens over the next two years will be very important uh, for whether Trump runs again, and mm -hmm. if he does, whether he's going to be elected, and also, uh, you know, who the Democrats put up. I think at the last count, there's something like 28 Democrats who have either expressed interest uh, or, or people have assumed that they're going to be interested right. in running. So it's going to be next year a, a real free-for-all. Right. Lots of people are going to be running. And then there'll be a vetting process so yes. that ultimately right. we have the best candidate who is the best potential vote-getter. That's the theory. Okay. <laughs> so, <clears throat> you know, last time around, uh, you don't there, want too there, many there were 17, there were 17 right? people on the Republican side who ran, uh, of whom three had no political experience, Donald Trump, Ben Carson, and Carly Fiorina. I assume this time there's going to be probably 20 people on the, the uh, Democratic side who are going to run. Um, some probably who have no political experience. Um, so it, next year will be, it's, it's going to be very unpredictable as right. to who's going to be the nominee of the party mm -hmm. uh, one year or even, well, certainly two years, but even one year before the election. So the president is going to be focused on getting reelected in the next turnaround in two years. I would think so. Right. right. Mm -hmm. And he's going to be, you know, pretty much retarded in, in a lot of his efforts by the House of Representatives because they're going to be throwing all sorts of things right. at him. But so I think one point on which people disagree is whether this is going to mean that the uh, the administration is going to be so focused on domestic issues right. that it won't be able to focus on foreign affairs or the other way to look at it, and some people make the argument, that precisely because the president will be faced with problems domestically, he'll try yeah. to use foreign <clears throat> affairs to gain points, and that foreign affairs is an area where the president usually has more jurisdiction, doesn't have to rely on the Congress that much. Right. So not clear which That's is going right. to happen. But I think w with regard to U.S.-Japan relations, your earlier question, I think that actually my own view is it's not going to end up with the U.S. focusing a lot of additional attention on Japan. I think to the extent that the president focuses attention on foreign countries, it's going to be China. Right. So that's going to be the brunt of the uh, the focus that the administration is going to have, especially in Asia. And Japan, you know, there, there'll be, you know, I mean, the Lighthizer-Motegi talks will uh, start next year. Uh, there'll be some negotiations on beef and uh, pork and other agricultural products, uh, negotiations trying to bring the tariffs down mm -hmm. so the U.S. isn't disadvantaged vis-a-vis -vis EU because the EU-Japan uh, EPA or the Australia-Japan FTA and the TPP, which all mean that because the U.S. withdrew from TPP, the U.S. doesn't get the benefits. 
Um, so, so that's going to be one area. The, the interesting area is automobiles. I think automobiles is an area where it's not likely that the U.S. companies are trying to get into the Japanese market because they think the Japanese market is shrinking, a difficult market, expensive market, and they're going to leave that to the European luxury companies, car, right. car companies. Well, they've tried it before and kind of and so it didn't I work think, out well. I think the U.S. is more interested in trying to keep the Japanese, limit the Japanese autos into coming into the U.S., either directly from Japan or from Mexico or Canada. Right. So there's going to be some discussions about that, and it kind of harkens back to the 1980s. Right, produce here. Yeah, that's right. part of it. And also, you know, there were voluntary export restraints back in the 80s. Mm -hmm. so. That seemed to work pretty well. I mean, it kept, yeah. it kept the tensions down. Right. It did uh, redistribute some of the manufacturing capabilities. And presumably, it, it kind of in, in, injected a kind of the higher technology mm -hmm. car manufacturing into some of the southern states in mm -hmm. California. Right. So I think that the U.S. will want probably to have a combination of limiting auto exports from Japan to the United States and also encouraging more Japanese companies to invest in the United States. We'll see if that's enough because just yesterday it was announced that GM is shutting down five factories in the United States and the U.S. auto industry is facing some real challenges. That's not good news. No, but I think that, so that is one element that could exacerbate U.S.-Japan trade issues. But, you know, given China, given North Korea, I, I don't anticipate that U.S.-Japan trade tensions are going to get up to the height that they were back in the 1980s. Right. What's the sense of Japan in the grand scheme of things in Washington, D.C.? I mean, the new ambassador, Bill Haggerty, right. his position here in Japan, he seems to be doing pretty well. Yes, I think so. I mean, he's a businessman, and he, he um, in the past, uh, had the position of trying to get companies to invest in his state of Tennessee. He did a great job and, there. Yeah, right? and I think that's what he's one of the areas he's focused on right now, mm -hmm. getting Japanese companies to invest more in the United States. Is there anything that um, you think the, the U.S. Embassy here in Japan should be focused more on than it is right now? I mean, it's hard to kind of say because it's, it's on YouTube, but um, <laughs> <laughs> besides slaps on the back, what do you think, from your perspective, would be a, a, a kind of a good place to invest additional effort? Well, I think the embassy is focusing on trying to get Japanese companies to invest in the United States, number one, and also trying to... Um, help in the bilateral trade uh, discussions, and also uh, you know, working closely with Japan on North Korea and on China. Mm -hmm. And I guess you know, with Russia, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, Abe and Putin work on the, um, uh, the peace treaty and the Northern Territories. I wonder if the, the expo being, mm -hmm. you know, selecting Osaka as their next venue mm -hmm. after being outside of Osaka for, what, 60 years, mm -hmm. um, the main competitor there was uh, Russia. You know, Russia. <laughs> yeah. And, right. you know, Osaka got it. That's a big deal for Osaka. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was in the newspapers all weekend. Sure. No, I, I wonder if there was a little bit of horse trading yeah. going on there. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, you know, Osaka was trying very hard. Japan was trying very hard to get Osaka selected. So I think it's, um, you know, very, very uh, good news for Japan. Yeah. We, we should have a, um, a similar focus on uh, the Northern Territories once again. Hmm. Um, we've done that from time to time, but it looks like there has been a new shift mm -hmm. and the Abi Putin uh, kind of relationship is seeming to flower in, uh, in that direction. Well, they've met many times. I think they uh, have good chemistry between the two of them. And, uh, you know, the prime minister said that in his remaining three years in office, he's gotten certain priorities, number one, constitutional revision, but also uh, relations with Russia and the peace treaty and Northern Territories and uh, the abduction issue with North Korea mm -hmm. and improving relations with China. 
So these are his priorities. So I anticipate that's what he's going to spend a lot of his focus on. Right. It's not uh, within the scope of what we were originally supposed to talk about, Glenn, but if, if you don't mind, the, the four islands, it looks like the, the prime minister has said, OK, we'll, we'll cut a deal. We'll take two of them and sign the peace treaty and let's see what happens. Doesn't that, seem that, to be going in that direction? Yeah, that seems to be the direction it's headed. But there are lots of uh, details here. Um, and there's even some question about what does it mean to get two islands right. returned and mm -hmm. whether it's ownership or jurisdiction or... So there, there are lots of unanswered questions still. Well, but it does seem that, um, you know, they're uh, going to be meeting at the uh, G20 meeting, Buenos Aires, and then they're going to meet, uh, I think Abe is going to Russia in January. Right. So I think, you know, we should see some progress. Right. I, I don't want to speculate too much, but um, you've been here for a long time. It's an important issue for you too, because it impacts a lot of things with the U.S. relationship as well. But I would like to see some sort of a solution, and it looks like the Russians aren't going to give any more. And to have the peace treaty signed and have a better relationship with the Russians, I think is really something that the prime minister could achieve. Yeah, well, I hope you're right. I think it's... Um it's been a long pending issue, so right. I hope it does get resolved. But there does seem to be some twists and turns here. And, and, right. and you know, I mean, depending on who you talk to, the level of opposition within Russia uh, to Putin going ahead with this deal right. could, could slow things down. Right. Uh, so it's not at all a done deal, but it does seem to be headed in, in, the, in the right direction. And uh, again, if the prime minister acquiesces on that, then what do the Koreans and the Chinese do? They say, well, we should just hold fast because we've got possession and we just hold firm and the Japanese will acquiesce, perhaps. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I th but I think the Northern Territories issue is rather different from the Senkaku issue sure. that Japan has with China or the Takeshima issue that Japan has with uh, South Korea. But I think, you know, if, if Japan and Russia are able to... Uh, to do the peace treaty and get the island issue settled, that'll be good. But mm -hmm. I mean, I think that the Russians will expect some financial uh, yep. rewards for all of this. And so it, it's going to be an interesting negotiation. So as a consequence of the midterm elections, your ass assessment of the U.S.-Japan relationship is basically it's going to hold firm now. He's going to be focused mostly on China and the relationship with Japan, trade well, notwithstanding. Well, I think with regard to Japan, the next couple of years will be trade with Japan. Now, if the Trump administration lasts for eight years, then in those next four years, I predict that there will be some significant attempts by the U.S. to make some changes on the security side of the relationship. But if it's only for another two years, I think sure. that will be basically focused on trade. Great. The Trump midterm elections implicates U.S.-Japan relations and trade. Please stay tuned.